And the reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in the front front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you cheat yourself and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. I've entitled this, The World is Watching. And at first, when I read this, I thought, oh no, what a complicated passage this is. All about lawsuits and judging and how are we going to tackle this and and be inspired. Even worse now, I know that actually, Marion, you gave me the... Was it you, Marion? Who gave me the... <laughs> Thanks, Marion. <laughs> and it was supposed to be... Uh, Tim was supposed to have this one, and I was supposed to be ha- have the one from this morning. But... <laughs> no, no. Yes, he is, but... <laughs> and then I, I started reading it, and um, I thought... Okay, let's go through this, see what, you know, what, what's what here. And all about the lawsuits and, and the judging and everything. And then it says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God and then neither the sexually immoral, etc., nor the male prostitutes, etc., etc., will inherit the kingdom of God? And then there is this lovely uh, verse which says, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then it led me to the implication of what he's saying, really, in in one, well, I think, anyway. um, He's saying, and so you ought to have a different kind of lifestyle now. You ought to be different. You've had these things. Oh, 
What's happening here? Okay. That's the verse. So you ought to have a different kind of lifestyle. We have got to be different than before we were washed and sanctified and justified. We've got to be different. We've got to be different to all of those who don't have what we have. You see, in, in this passage, Paul is not happy. He's not happy. He wasn't happy before in, verse, uh, in chapter 5. He is not happy. He's had all the problems with the immoral brother that they just tolerated between them uh, and, and, and didn't expel from the... You, you, presumably you did that a week or two ago. Um, and so he's, he's just not happy. He's, he's, he, he can't understand why they're behaving like they are. And now he's, in, this, in chapter 6, he's turning uh, to the fact that they're having lawsuits between themselves, brother, going against brother. He can't believe it. Then and now, obviously, society has a legal system where disagreements can be settled in court. But Paul is saying that disagreeing Christians shouldn't have to go to a secular court to sort out their differences. Why? Well, a number of of possible reasons, but some of the things that... that, uh, I've thought of here, and one in particular, um, is because, firstly, the the court, the non-Christian judge and jury, presumably, uh, and so they're not going to be sensitive to Christian values. They're not going to understand where they're coming from. Um, That verse says, if any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly? for judgment instead of before the saints. And then he goes on in that passage, which is really quite difficult to understand. He says that the saints are going to judge, that's us, are going to judge the world. And he says, um, are they not competent to judge trivial cases on earth? If we're going to judge the world, and and I'm not exactly sure where he gets that from, but in uh, Luke 22, there is a Um, Luke 22, there is a passage that says, um, that Jesus says, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So maybe it's something like that. Um, Please speak to Tim and ask Tim all about that afterwards. And about, um, because I'm not exactly sure how that's going to happen, or about judging angels and things. And again, you know, Tim will have all the answers for you. (laughs) So if we, as believers, are going to have this, going to be judging the world and judging angels and things, well, you know, are we not competent enough to to judge uh, trivial cases on earth, he says? Um, and, and he says, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint men as judges in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible, you can hear his frustration here, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute amongst believers? Is there no one that could do that within the church situation? Basically he's saying Christians ought to settle their disputes in church first and foremost. There's that passage in Matthew 18 as well that says... Uh, if your brother and 
think we've got that, have we? Yeah, so very, you might not be able to read it, sorry. If your brother or sister uh, sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. So all this is between you... But, you know, you've got something against someone. You go to them, and if they won't listen, then you you, you take two or three other people, and if not, you bring it to the church first and foremost. And then he says in that passage, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, um, which is, uh, you know, a a non-believer, basically. So there might come that place. But first and foremost, what are you doing, he said, bringing each other uh, to court? And then I thought you might be thinking... You know, what are the motives? What are you, what are you doing this for? Um, he says. He says. Uh, I, I think he's talking about thinking about examining. Uh, in in one Corinthians, it says um, um, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Um, and you know, we have to examine ourselves. Why are we actually doing this? If we if you're doing this, why are you actually doing it? If it's all about rights and revenge. This shouldn't be the motive of a Christian. I've got to have my rights. I, you know, people sue at the drop of a hat these days. You know, we all get a bit uppity if we've, you know, we've been charged in 10p more than we should have done or, or something. We all get a bit on our high horses, don't we? And we can have a, a, a go at people sometimes. Um, and, well, I hope none of you do that. And, of course, I, I don't. But... Um, there is so much suing going on and we've got our rights and we deserve this and we de- we deserve that. Uh, and he, he said in that passage, well, why not be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Um, he said, you know, you've already been defeated. The fact that you're having lawsuits among you means you've completely already been defeated because this isn't actually how you're supposed to be behaving with each other. I knew a Christian uh, once I mean, you don't know them, so that's okay. Um, and his Tesco delivery was late. And, um, and then they messed up bringing it after, afterwards. There was something else involved with it. But he complained and complained and complained and complained. And he was given some kind of compensation, but he didn't think that was enough. In the end, he got an iPad type thing, a tablet. I know. It was, I just don't know how, how that happened, but... But what I'm saying, and as because you don't know him, that's fine, but what I'm saying, that kind of attitude where you're going to get absolutely everything because you've been wronged, I think, you know, and we all have it a bit sometimes, I know, but it's, it's worth examining ourselves. And why were these people taking brother against brother into the law courts? Uh, Paul was saying, I'm not saying we shouldn't complain if things aren't right. I, I'm not saying that. And sometimes it's absolutely right to do so. But it's the manner in which we do it and the attitude. And if it's something where, you know, I mean, you might even be involved in situations now where you feel you've been wronged and, you know, you're going to... But it's that, it, it can destroy. There's a time and a place for doing things, and, but doing it properly. But it's the attitude of our hearts. And while I was preparing this and thinking about it, actually a situation came to mind. And I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm virtuous, particularly in any way. But just because at the right time it was the thing to do. And I share this because I actually do know something of this um, 
it was concerning my mother's will and um, a lawyer friend who'd been a friend for a long time. He gave me the wrong advice uh, about something that was to be changed while she was still alive. And it was very costly indeed. I mean, it was something like £70,000 worth of, of cost to me. Um, he was mortified when he realised. And if I wanted to complain, he said, then he would understand. But he had been a friend of mine for a long, long time. And I just was not going to pursue that with that with my Christian brother. I'm not saying there isn't a time to do that, and a, and a, but I, it just was not right. Money isn't everything. And by the grace of God, and I'm not always like that, I know, but I just was able to let it go and forgive him. And God honored that. And he provided abundantly more than all I could have asked or imagined, uh, just in incredible ways. So I share that just because that was because of the legal situations we're talking about now. Um, and God was able to give me the grace to do that. And, you know, I got much more in a different way than I would have done by you know, thinking, oh, I'm not saying I didn't think, mm, uh, you know, at the time. I, I'm not saying that, but I was able to, I was, you know, I'm a work in progress. But I was able to um, release that and totally forgive him and let it go. But as I read this, um, first and foremost, I think, you know, really what he's saying here is that lawsuits like this between brother brothers in the church, sisters in the church, it looks bad. It looks so bad. It's not a good witness to the watching world. It's not a good witness. Um, For those of us who say we're Christians here this evening, the non-believing world is watching. People are watching you. If you're a Christian, people are watching you. They're watching, and me, they're watching our reactions, they're watching what we do, how we do it. And of course we're not perfect. Of course not. And we said that, didn't we? I always remember when I was in Japan, uh, when I I lived in Japan for a long time, as you know, um, and I was driving my car, and I wasn't feeling cross or anything. Um, But a neighbor saw me later, and she said, I saw you driving your car yesterday looking really scary. And I thought, oh, you know, I, oh, I didn't have any reason. For, and and I might have just been concentrating or whatever. But, it, you know, so it wasn't anything to worry about. But what I'm saying is, just in an instant even, just even in an instant, um, people can look at us and make, us, make their decisions about us, especially if they know we're Christians. So I, that always reminds me... Um, to be careful when I'm driving, no. Uh, but just how, how my reactions are, I know I fall far short so many times. And praise God, we've, we've got a God who forgives us. And we come back to him again and again. It's realizing, isn't it, really, where we think, I've blown it. I got angry with that man on the phone, you know, the man in the call center in some far, far off country who I couldn't understand, and I've been on the phone for an hour. You know, it's not his fault, but, you know, you get angry. Just those things. I am so sorry 
Lord God, for my attitude. And I'm so thankful to God that he will forgive. Time and time and time again. I don't see many fishies on cars these days, do you? Do people still have fishies on their cars? Have you got one, Tim? You know, no. <laughs> we don't know. You have. Well done, Marion. Yeah. <laughs> no. But I just, you know, the, I've seen people with fishies on their cars, you know, symbol, obviously, Christian symbol. You have, do you? Yeah. Um, and I've seen people shout at people with them on. Uh, and, you know, that's what I'm just saying is that we just have to be so careful. <laughs> I'm sure you never like that, Marion. Of course not. No. But it's just, we are as believers that what I'm trying to say here is that we're called to demonstrate a different kind of lifestyle. One in which we're ready to kind of surrender our personal rights um, for the cause that we serve. And Paul's going to develop this more and more as this letter unfolds. But actually there's nothing more characteristic of a believer than, than our willingness to surrender our light, light, uh, our rights, even if, you know, and we do get hurt. We get hurt. People will hurt us. We will be wronged. This is, this is life. We will be. And we can't always get on our high horse. And we have to, you know, this is about learning how to forgive um, and, and, having the, and having grace. And, you know, we hurt people. I'm sure I hurt people sometimes. Um, and I do things that, you know, I do things in the wrong way sometimes, of course. Um, so, you know, this is, this, is, this is life as a Christian. We're going to get hurt. We're going to get wrong. It's how we deal with it. It's our, mo- our motives. But more than anything, it's our witness. In Paul's day, legal hearings were like uh, a large part of the entertainment business sometimes uh, in, 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 in an ancient city. And the Greek, the ancient Greek courthouse wasn't a private room with a small gallery, the kind of, you know, courts that we might have now. It was often in the public square or in the marketplace and very visible. So you can imagine, can't you? So when someone hauls a brother and a sister or a sister up in court there, they weren't just settling a dispute. They were holding the church up to public scrutiny and ridicule. And so it was even more damaging. You know, here were these Christians, brothers, and they were arguing and, you know, bringing someone, a a brother to to trial in front of everyone, in front of the ungodly, non-Christian judge and juries, um, presumably because they thought, you know, he's wronged me or whatever. But it was public and people could see. And... Paul isn't putting down the justice system. Of course, there is a need at times. I mean, he himself admired and upheld the law. But there was something very wrong about the way they were behaving. And those of us, and I say again, who've been washed and sanctified and justified, i.e. those of us who've come to the cross and we've asked Jesus for forgiveness and we're filled with his spirit, we ought to have different reactions. And we ought to behave differently. Uh, yeah, Paul says here, instead one brother goes to law against another. And this in front of unbelievers. He can't believe it. Why were they doing that? 
And Romans 12 says, do not conform, sorry for the small print here, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are supposed to be different. We're not just to, to talk the talk, as you know, we often say, but to walk the walk as well. And the things that we say and the things that we learn and the things that we read in, in God's word, we're supposed to live out and flesh out in our, in our daily uh, walk with him. The people, uh, the church of Jesus Christ is to be a transformed people. We're to be shining lights. We're to be different. People will look at us and say, well, he's really different. The way he's reacting, the, the kindness he's showing, the way he's not, you know, he's just letting things go or she's letting things go. That's different. Now that, that, that causes me to want to know the Jesus that they're singing about in church on a Sunday. It's good to remind ourselves that we've been called to be different. Uh, Zacchaeus, um, Jesus, I mean, he, nobody could have doubted the fact that he, he was changed. And Jesus called him, called his name, didn't he, and said, you know, I must come to come down, I'm, I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus, when he met with Jesus, his life was transformed, it was changed. He said, I'll give half of my uh, possessions to the poor and I'll pay back four times um, if I've cheated anyone. It changed his whole life. Knowing Jesus changed his whole life. It's a calling that we have. We're called, but it's a calling to be changed. And something that we were talking about the other day at church, um, that we're a called people, and we're called out, we're called for, we're called together and called to. And I want us to remind ourselves of this. Um, and we're going to have a reflection time a bit, a bit later. But uh, we've been called out. We are a people who've been called out, as I said at the beginning, out of his darkness and into his wonderful light. You're a chosen people, we, we read, didn't we? A royal priesthood. This is you, this is me, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And we talked about the fact that we are called and yet we had that free choice. It's always a bit of a paradox, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to understand. I totally believe that I was free to choose Jesus. And, and it was Ironside who, who gave the illustration, which you've probably heard before, of you know, uh, uh, somebody coming to the gates of heaven and, and um, there um, it, it, it said something like free, free choice or uh, there that you, you had a choice to come. And you, once you enter into it and then you look back above the door the other side, it says chosen chosen before the foundation of the world. So it's that kind of paradox. But nevertheless, we, we, are, we believe we are called. And even though we had that free, that free choice to come in, God knew about us and he, he knew that we were going to choose him. And that's a whole other theological thing that you can talk to um, Tim about later. But I've been called, you've been called, we've been called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That has to make us be thankful and joyful. That has to make us different. It has to make us different. And we've been called, uh, called out, we've been called for. Called for what? 
yes for this, yes for that, yes to, to do this, yes to serve, but called first and foremost for a relationship with him. First and foremost for a relationship with him. And out of all, out of that comes all the other things that we do with him and for him. A relationship with him. Adam and Eve, right back in the garden, walking with the Lord. Abraham was a, called a friend of God. The pillar of, of, of cloud by day and fire by night indicated the presence of God with them. Relationship. God's about relationship. God was with them. Joshua, to Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. David says, don't cast your presence from me. It's all about relationship. doesn't matter how much you do for him, how much you put out the chairs or take the offering or play on the piano or, or on welcome. All these things are wonderful things and we, they have to be done. But it has to come out of relationship with him, first and foremost. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do as I command. And there's another verse. Sorry, I always forget this. Uh, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faith you who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Church is not a religious society to do good works. It is first and foremost a relationship with the living God through Jesus. And the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we look to him. If we look at everybody else and the mess-ups that we all as Christians make, and we're just going to flounder. But we look to him. We have that relationship with him. The more we look to him, the more we talk to him, the more we listen to him, the more we stay close to him, the more like him we'll become and the more different we'll stand out to a watching world, I believe. I have a long, long way to go, but that's what I believe. And the third thing I want to say is that we've been called together and we are actually doing a series on the church. I believe in the church, uh, in, in, uh, at, at our church at the moment. And how important is, the, is that we are together? We need each other's help on all this. We need to learn from each other. We need to pray for one another. We need to support one another. We need each other. I, I met someone the other day who said, I, I got talking to him, and he said, um, yeah, my church is um, wherever St. Mark's or something. He said, that's my church. I said, do you go there? No, he said, you know, I go, might go at Christmas or something. Well, you can't say, that's your church. I, I, I didn't quite say it like that, but I, I did seek to put him right on that. Um, it's not just Sundays. It's not just the group. The church is, the, the, the church is community. The church is fellowship. The more we are looking at this at, at life, the more I'm understanding the togetherness of church is so important. There's lots of people now who say, oh, well, I'll just go to church when I want to, or I'll just go where I want to, or I might go sometimes. 
But no, somehow Jesus loves the church. Somehow he wants us. It's his church. We're called to be together because it's together we learn from one another. It's together we learn to forgive one another. Together that we can extend grace. Together we can help one another. Together we can be disciplined if necessary. It's together. We're called to be together. We're a people together. There's a dynamic in community. Um, which I don't think we're terribly good at, uh, often in our churches. In Acts 2, I'll read it. Um, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wondrous signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's a togetherness and it's how we learn to act, react and be together that the world is watching too. And what do they see when they see Life Community Baptist Church or Brighton Road Baptist Church or any, any church. What happens when they come in? Do they, feel, do they feel the love between you? Do they feel the love between us? Are, they, are you welcoming? Are, you know, are we? Do, do people, or do you just talk with your friends? Or do you just scurry home? Glad that it's all over. You know, this is the questions we need to ask. I'm not saying because I don't know, but uh, we need to ask ourselves. You know, it's about togetherness. It's about being together and learning from one another. And then finally, we're called to. Called called to what? 1 Timothy says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And he goes on, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to take hold of this eternal life. We're, we're going somewhere, we're a journeying people. We're on, we're on the way, we're, you know, we're, we're going to heaven, but we're here right now and are on this earth. And we are called to be a shining light. We're, we're a kingdom people. We're called for a purpose. Very important. Jesus wants his church to be a good witness. The world is watching us. Is watching us as, a ch- as churches, as watching us as individuals. And if that sometimes means letting go of our rights for the sake of the kingdom, then so be it. When people don't see that our gospel or our salvation is any different, why in the world should they be interested in joining us, or more importantly, getting to know him? The world is watching you and watching me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you that Paul is so concerned for the witness of believers that he wants people to know his Jesus. <laughs> and he's, he, he, he's speaking into this situation and saying, look, 
You've got to, you're different now. You, 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 you've been saved from all those kind of things and all those kind of feelings and all those kind of motives. And you've been saved into a new kind of life and a different kind of lifestyle. And thank you for that reminder. Thank you for that reminder to me. And I pray for all of us here. If there's something we're hanging on to, then I pray you'd help us release that. Father, if we're all churned up inside because we've been wronged, well, maybe you're just saying, let it go. Forgive. And build with me the kingdom. Father God, we ask your forgiveness for the ways and the times that we have not done this. And daily we, we probably make mistakes and we ask you to forgive us and be grateful again for and be reminded again of the the salvation that you have given us and fill us afresh with your spirit so that we can go out into the world and be those shining lights and we can be as churches and that this church can be a church that is different to a group of ordinary people doing good works like the Rotary Club or other places. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for this church. And, and I know that in so many ways, like at Life too, we, we so want to be transformed. We so want to be changed. And we are seeking your face. And so we're asking you, Lord God, to again fill us with your spirit and May we keep on being transformed into the image of Jesus for the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. So we're going to sing Jesus you are, we're going to sing two songs, Jesus you are changing me. And uh, we'll sing it through once and then I've asked Anita to play it uh, through a couple of times or so. And just use that as a moment to ask for forgiveness and to ask God to fill you afresh, to point out, because the Holy Spirit will highlight things, different things to different people. And he may just, like he highlighted something to me when I was preparing this, he may just pinpoint something that you need to repent of and ask for help with. And, yeah. So let's... uh, Let's remain seated, actually, to sing this. We'll sing it through uh, once, and then we'll have a two or three times of playing it through, and then we'll sing it again. Thank you. Jesus. 